Uh, but 1 Samuel chapter 26, 1 Samuel chapter 26, uh, we're in the life of David, a heart after God's own heart, and uh, David's going to have, as, we've, as we follow the life of David, we've seen some ups and we've seen some downs, and uh, this week I'm going to go ahead and give you the uh, synopsis a little bit, this is an up point. Uh, for David. David is doing what is right. He's where he needs to be. Uh, but there's some things we need to learn. Uh, the Bible says, uh, verse number um, verse number 4, let's pick it up in verse number 4 of chapter 26. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. Saul's coming back. He's chasing David again. Uh, back uh, deja vu, we're back into uh, being chased by Saul again. And David, verse number five, and David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched. And David beheld the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the captain of his host. And Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched round about him. Then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zariah, brother to Joab, saying, who will go down with me to Saul and to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench. And his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster, at his pillow, at his head there. And Abner and the people lay round about him. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore, let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear even to the earth at once. I will not, and I will not smite him the second time. It's only going to take me one time, David. I got this. Then, and David said to Abishai, destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Pay close attention to verse number 10. And David said furthermore, As the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed, but I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster, and they got them away. And no man saw it, or, nor knew it, neither awakened, for they were all asleep, because of a deep sleep from the Lord was fallen upon them. And David went over to the other side and stood on top of a hill afar off, a great space being between them. And David cried to the people, to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Answerest thou not, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who art thou that criest against the king? Criest to the king, excuse me. And David said to Abner, Art not thou a valiant man? Who is like to thee in Israel? Wherefore then hast thou not kept thy lord the king? For there came one of the people in to destroy the king thy lord. This thing is not good that thou hast done. As the Lord liveth, ye are worthy to die, because ye have not kept your master, the Lord's anointed. Now see where the king's spear is, and the cruise of water that was at his bolster. And Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that thy voice, my son David? 
And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Wherefore doth, that, doth my lord thus pursue after thy servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in mine hand? Now therefore I pray thee, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord hath stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. But if they be the children of men, cursed be they before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel is come out to seek a flea, as when one doth hunt a partridge in the mountains. Then said Saul, I have sinned. My question is, you think? Right? Saul goes, I have sinned. Return to me, my son David, for I will do no more harm. Do, no, do thee, I will no more do thee harm. Because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day, behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Behold the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over to fetch it. The Lord render to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered thee into my hand today, but I would not stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, as thy life was much set by in mine eyes, so let my life be much set by in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt both do great things and also shalt still prevail. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. Another sad story in the life of Saul, but a good story in the life of David. And the title tonight is this, Obedience is Still the Very Best Way. Obedience is still the very best way. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, I just pray that you would help us as we study your word to learn what you would have us to learn. Help us not to pass over the simple truths, Lord, but to take them to heart, to learn. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us tonight. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's one thing to deal with a problem one time. It's another time, it's another thing to deal with a problem again and again and again, especially when you thought you had dealt with it. You thought it was over. You thought you were past this situation, then all of a sudden it keeps coming back and it keeps coming back. That's when it can get very frustrating. I have this later in my notes, but I'm going to go ahead and tell it now. I remember um, uh, a couple years ago, uh, it was just, uh, just as COVID was, uh, that summer of COVID, um, there weren't obviously people in the building there at the beginning, and then uh, people started coming back in, but uh, we, um, I walked into the, the ladies' bathroom, and there's water dripping from the ceiling. And I'm like, oh no, we've got a roof leak. I'm going to have to start messing with this. And so I called a friend of mine who is a roofer, and he said, what you need to do is put the gutters up. Uh, there wasn't any gutters on that part of the roof, and so a big part of the roof was draining on that part. And so I went and bought the different parts at Home Depot and was stressing about how I was going to make the turn and this and that and spent a couple days doing it. We finally got the gutter up and was hoping the next time it wasn't going to rain, uh, when it rained, it wasn't going to leak, and 
destroyed the beautiful taping job I'd done. Just washed all down the sink. And so we tried caulking some of the seams and destroyed my taping job. And then we got a sealant to put on the roof, a special coating that would seal some of the shingles and help uh, water wouldn't seep through and some of that. And it worked for about one day and one rainstorm, and then whoosh, everything washed down. And it was over a year of messing with it. And then they, uh, finally, uh, friends of mine came, and they didn't uh, charge us any of the parts or anything. They brought their own parts, labor, and the shingles had rotted out underneath the, uh, underneath the asphalt shingles. And so any water that got underneath the asphalt shingles, instead of running off of the uh, underlayment, was going right into the building. And so they had to rebuild that whole section of the roof. But can I tell you this? Each time that it failed, and each time that, uh, that there was more water in the building, it was more and more frustrating, and it was more and more, when are we ever going to get this done? When are we ever going to deal with that? You think David was feeling like that just a little bit? Okay, he had dramatically proved his own and his men's innocence at the cave of Engedi. Remember that back in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Uh, Saul had come into the cave and uh, he was sitting there, whatever he was doing, and David snuck up behind him, cut off a piece of his robe, and um, David's heart smote him. He knew he could not kill King Saul. He did what was right, and when Saul left the cave, David came out and he said, do you see how close you were to death? If I wanted to do you harm, if I wanted to get you, don't you think I could have done it then? I mean, God gave me the opportunity to do that. You would have stood no chance whatsoever. Don't you understand, Saul, that I am not out to get you? Don't you understand that the rumors you're hearing are lies and aren't true? That I, I, you're still my king and I'm still honoring you that? Don't you understand that? David understood that he could not help God's will take place. David knew it was God's will for him to be the next king. David knew that one day he would sit on the throne, but he knew this, I can't help God's will take place. As in, I can't manipulate it, I can't make it happen by doing something that's wrong. He showed Saul great grace, he showed Saul great goodness. And it appeared for a little time that the leak was stopped. It appeared for a little time that maybe something had actually seeped into Saul's brain and, and worked on it a little bit, that some common sense had actually gotten through. And maybe David had begun to hope that Saul had actually changed. Uh, we actually got some, something happened. Saul's actually, maybe he submitted to the Lord now. David's definitely enjoying, hey, I don't have to be on the run anymore. Hey, I don't have to... I can breathe for a little bit. This, uh, maybe we can see a, a pathway to the kingdom here. It, it seemed like the situation had resolved itself a little bit. There's, there's some peace, though David's obviously not going to go back to the kingdom. He's not going to be there uh, with Saul. There, there's an understanding that uh, David's going to be the king one time, and uh, David's not an enemy of, of the king any longer. And though um, David Saul kind of let it become a cold case, he kind of let it... Uh, let things drop. Okay, things are going good. And then those good old Ziphites, right? David's own um, tribe members. They were of the tribe of Judah. They, uh, this is the second time they go up to King Saul and they bring, don't you know what David's up to? 
He's hiding around again. He's moving around again. He's, he's up to something, King Saul. You better come and get him. Saul quickly gathered his best soldiers. He gathered his 3,000 soldiers, his 5 to 1 odds again, and he's going to go back and he begins pursuing David. Just a note, because Saul was not following God, because he wasn't submitted to God's will, he was open to every attack. Okay, we can say it this way. Why was Saul suddenly chasing David again? Why was he going this way and that way, going back and forth? Well, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. There's no protection there. Uh, that's what the walls would be. It would keep out marauders. It would keep out um, things that could come in and, and hurt, the ci- um, hurt the city. And Saul was open to every attack. He was open to whatever came. There was no protection because he wasn't following the Lord. He wasn't seeking the wisdom of God. Saul's not just angry with David. He's hunting David like a wild, dangerous animal. Right? He gets his soldiers together and goes, this must be removed for the protection of my kingdom. I have to kill David. And you go, there's something not working upstairs. Um, Okay, but he... He that hath no rule over his own spear is like a city that is broken down and without walls. He's just going right back to where he was. He takes 3,000 of his best soldiers, and he's going to hunt David to the ends of the earth. We're right back to where we were. He travels to the location. There's a hill there that was the last reported sighting of David. And he sets up a camp of war. Now, how many noticed in your Bible where it said that Saul was in the trench? Saul was in the trench. Okay, what that's talking about is, okay, Saul dug a military camp. He put up a rampart around his camp to protect himself from David. He was acting like that was what a wise military leader would do if they were in enemy territory to protect against a surprise attack. You would put up a wall that you could defend that would prevent cavalry from attacking. You would put up a, if you, would have your, if you had supply wagons, you would put them in a circle around the camp to uh, provide some barrier and some protection. And Saul has 3,000 soldiers that are going to sleep around him. And Saul is in the very center. You talk about somebody who's paranoid. You talk some, about somebody who's concerned about himself. This is Saul. And here David, he goes in and beholds, he sees, this isn't good. Saul's coming. He's going atta- to attack. He's chasing me again. We're back to ground zero. Everything is going is back the way it is. And, and sometimes it can be like that in life. Maybe, maybe you're dealing with a, a relationship problem, a problem with a person, and you're trying to do right, and it seems like you're making a little bit of progress, and all of a sudden, whoosh, right back to where we started. It's like everything that we've been working on, and you've been trying to do right, and you've been trying to lay a good foundation, and trying to um, uh, make sure that there's good communication, and try to uh, do what's right, and all of a sudden, an instant, everything changes. You're right back and you go, really? Are we there again? Maybe you're struggling to get victory in some area of your life. And you're trying to say, Lord, would you give me victory over this? And it seems like you're making a little progress. And it seems like things are, uh, Lord, this is good. And then all of a sudden, right back on your face again. How many of us have been there? 
Every one of us. Maybe you're trying to serve the Lord and saying, I, I want to see the Lord do this and I want to see uh, some things happen. And uh, I sent a picture of the, the new lights here to um, Jesse's family, to my father-in-law. And they were like, oh, this is so exciting. This is so great. Wow, that's amazing. And I, I just had to remind them, we've only been working on it for about four years uh, of trying to figure out what we were going to do and how we are going to do it and where we were going to place them and different things like that. And we're not done yet, not by a long shot, but it's like we get a little bit of thinking and then, nope, that's not going to work. You get a little bit, nope, that's not going to work. You're trying to serve the Lord. You're trying to see the Lord grow the church. You're trying to see different, and some visitors start coming and then they stop. Somebody comes and joins the church, then they leave. You know what? That's when it's easy just to go, what's the point? Okay? I've been doing this, and I've been trying to do what's right, and I've been uh, trying to take the steps, and we're not making any progress. Are we really getting anywhere? Is anything really changing? Now, it almost does seem like, da like David resorts to some pretty desperate measures here in our text, okay? He observes Saul's campsite. And he decides he's going to enter the camp and confront Saul. So David gets one of his mighty men, Abishai. He has Abishai and he has Ahimelech, the Hittite, there with him. And he says, which one of you guys want to come with me? Abishai. I, I don't think it was the other one didn't want to go. I think Abishai just got his hand up first. It's kind of like in a business meeting. Who gets the first and second? It's just whoever gets their hand up first. Um, and so Abishai is like, me, 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 me. He wanted to get in there. He wanted to get in on the action. David sees the lay, he's from a distance, he's observing, he sees Saul laying down to sleep. Everyone else is setting up camp, Saul's already asleep. That's the idea, the verb, the, the verb tenses there. Saul's already laying down, he's, he's doing his thing. He's there in the very center of the camp with Abner. Now, who's Abner? Abner was Saul's cousin, but he was also his commander-in-chief. Okay, he, the, this was um, Saul's general. It was his chief of staff. It was his greatest warrior. There's 3,000 men of war, the best of Israel's soldiers that are sleeping round about King Saul in a circle around him. By the way, if you're the king, you should be in the center. It was a place of, of leadership there. And the, but the soldiers are surrounding him. Okay, and we have to understand this. To be seen entering this camp would be interpreted as an act of hostility, right? Would be interpreted as an attempt on Saul's life, as an act of war. If, da if David's caught sneaking into the camp, do you think there's going to be much of a board of inquiry of what's going on? Um, do you think there's going to be uh, much... Uh, no, it's going to be... Now we have the evidence that David's after the king. Now we have... Uh, we have Proof positive that David's trying to usurp the king. But David determines to go down into the camp to confront Saul in some way. And Abishai says, me, 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 please, 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 please take me. And so they go, they wait till it's night, and they're going to go down to the camp. Now, David and Abishai sneak to the very center of the camp without being caught. But it was, the Bible makes it clear that it wasn't because of David's Great skill, or Abishai, though David was a great warrior, and Abishai was one of the very mighty men there, part of David, the Bible says that the Lord sent a deep, deep sleep that fell upon them. It was almost like God rendered them unconscious. 
They were uh, completely out of it. They weren't coming to, back to uh, this uh, they weren't going to be paying attention to anything so long as David was in the camp. The Lord made sure of that. So let's ask this question. What was David trying to do? The text really doesn't tell us, and so we do have to be careful. Um, we do have to be careful surmising things that aren't in the text. But I cannot believe from the text that David was planning to kill Saul. Can, can, can we find that in the text? That David was trying to kill Saul. No. Uh, that that was in David's heart his whole time, and he just changed his mind at the last instant. No, that was not David's intent. Um, I don't believe that under any circumstances that David was just bored and was trying to go on a uh, thrill-seeking adventure. Um, Okay, I'm being somewhat humorous, or, or trying to be. I'm not always the best at that. But, right, he's not just seeing what he can do just for the kick, of, you know, just for uh, the joy of it. Let's see what we can do if we can um, mess with salt. No, I can't necessarily prove this, but what comes to my mind, just something I would say this would be a good possibility is David remembers, okay, Saul was chasing me and chasing me and chasing me, and then finally I proved to Saul at the cave that I wasn't trying to kill him, and Saul left me alone for a little bit. And I was able, something actually got through. So maybe if I'm able to do something to prove to Saul again, I'm not trying to kill him. I can do something. I can head this off a little bit. I can get ahead of it. And hey, Saul, I could kill you, but I'm not here to kill you. I, I, I still believe you're my king, and I'm going to stay submitted as long as you're there. And so very much in my mind, I believe David's trying to recreate the cave scenario a little bit. He's trying to get to Saul and say, listen, before we start this chase and this merry-go-round around the whole nation of Israel, can we just stop it right now and understand that I'm not here to chase you, and I'm not, I'm not after you, but you're after me? And so we do know this, that God blessed David's mission, that the deep sleep of the Lord fell upon them. And so it's very, very possible, even likely, that uh, David had leadership from the Lord in doing this. We don't necessarily see David in a verse specifically asking God, should I go into Saul's camp or not? But the Lord did go before him and give sleep uh, to the men. And so there's reason to believe that David, okay, this seems like a wise idea. This seems like a, a wisdom to try to deal with the problem and talk to Saul one-on-one -on -one and um, head the problem off. And so I'm going to take this step and I'm going to try to do what we can to mitigate the damage and mitigate the, the suffering that, needs, that might take place here. And God blesses their, their mission. They get to where Saul is through 3,000 men without even one stirring. That's pretty incredible. They find themselves right at Saul's bedside. Now, in the middle of the dark, in the middle of the night, in darkness, okay, I don't think there would have been a torch staked at Saul's head saying, this is where the king is. So that David and Abishai were able to get to where the king was among all the sleeping, uh, sleeping bags. You really can't see who the person is in the sleeping bag. Um, but they got right to where Saul was. That was a little bit of a miracle, though David had marked the place in his mind where he was. And when they get there, Saul's sleeping. 
right by his pillow, by his bolster. That's what the word means. Bolster is just the pillow there. Saul's got a spear stuck in the ground right by his head. Now, what, what's the big deal about the spear? Well, David knows that spear pretty well by this point. He's ducked it at least three times. Um, and also this, the spear was the symbol of Saul's kingly power, okay? Saul didn't carry a scepter, he carried a spear. It was, this was the king's spear. This is, this is the king. It, it helped the, in battle, the king would live. <coughs> excuse me. The king would lift up the spear and people could see it. He could give commands with it. It was the symbol of his power. Saul was so insecure, he had to sleep with his scepter. Right? He had to make sure, I'm going to hold on to this. Nobody's taking this from me. I don't think he was sucking his thumb, but he might have been, right? Um, he had the, uh, the spear right beside him. He was so insecure. He was, he was hold, trying to hold on to what God had already said he'd lost. Right there, Saul, right in front of him. But here's another test for David. And there's two different responses to finding the helpless Saul. I mean, Saul is laid out snoring. Okay? He's not going to do much. And David's there with Abishai, and Abishai tells David, God hath delivered thine enemy into his hand. Come on, come on, David. This is, this is a sign, if you want to sign, David, this is a sign of God's approval. God has given you an opportunity to deal with this problem. You could take care of this Saul problem once and for all. And an interesting word study on the word delivered there. It has this idea of closed up around. So it's delivered, delivered with no possibility of escape. Okay, it's, it's delivered and there's no other opening. This is the only thing to do. David's saying, look, or I mean, Abishai's telling David, look, there's no other options here. I mean, this is amazing. We don't even have to think about this, David. Here's Saul. He's not going to escape. I mean, he's helpless. He's right here in front of us. Saul can't get away now. This is our responsibility to do, David. There's no other options. This, is, this must be God's will. By the way, Abishai called the king David's enemy. Now, had Saul been acting like an enemy of David? Absolutely. He had been trying to kill David. But was Saul really the enemy of David? No. Saul was simply being used by Satan. And remember this in our, in our day that um, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. When we are wronged, when we're experiencing things, it's very easy to view those who are opposing us as the enemy. And when we view them as the enemy, it becomes a me versus them. And suddenly that begins to change the semantics of it. That begins to change, well, it's me versus them, so if it's for me, it must be right. And then morals become subjective. Because what's for me is right and what's for them is wrong. Is everybody, see how Abishai is thinking? Abishai is saying, well, you hate those that hate you, and you, uh, if those are your enemies, you're going to fight with them. If you're friends, you befriend them and take care of them. But this is our enemy. He's against us. So we get to be against him. It's either me or them. He said, David, please. 
Listen, David, I'm a warrior. I know it's not going to take me more than once. We can get in this problem real quick. Please. And he's pulling the salt, he's pulling the spear out. All David had to do was not say anything. All David had to do was nod his head. Saul would be gone. That's all David had to do. David, and besides, David had given him a chance before. I mean, he had shown him great mercy. He had demonstrated. We've, we've already been over this. Saul, you've had your chance. You, you, you lost the opportunity. We're not, we're not gonna, I'm not giving you another chance. What is the old saying? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Right? Wouldn't that be the fleshly way of dealing? Hey, we're not going to... You had your chance, Saul. We're not dealing with this. I have to protect my men. I have to protect my families. Uh, we're not doing this anymore. But verse number 9, David said to Abishai, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David refused to let this happen because he knew what was right today. He said... I know that I cannot kill the Lord's anointed, that I cannot transgress the Lord's authority. God put Saul as king, and so God will have to remove Saul as king. I can't do that and be guiltless. Okay, Guiltless would be innocent. Uh, I can't be clean. I can't have clean hands before God and kill Saul. Even though Saul has greatly wronged me, this is murder. This is not in war. If you can't maintain your fellowship with God on the path you've chosen, something is desperately wrong, okay? You can't send God out of the room so you can deal with something and then come back to it. Sometimes we, okay, you ever done that with kids? Hey, do you just need to go out of the room so I can deal with this the way I need to deal with it? And then, and then we'll come back and everything's going to be good? Uh, just, don't, just don't pay attention. I'm going to deal with this real quick and then, then we'll be okay. If, you're, if that type of thinking is in our minds, we're, we're way in the wrong spot. Because God has promised, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. But if we forsake the Lord, there's no guarantees we can just come right back. It's been said by preachers many times this way. You can get off on the exit ramp, but there's no guarantee that the um, entrance, lamp is, uh, entrance ramp is at the next light. It may be a good while before you get to get back on. It may be, and David say, we can't go down this road because we won't be innocent. It's going to break our fellowship with God. It's going to mess that up. If your decision, how about this? If your decision is something that you would not be comfortable praying about, if your decision is not something you would be comfortable maybe sharing with your pastor, this is how I handle that situation. Maybe you need to rethink that. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm the arbiter of truth or anything like that, but if you can't say, look at how the Lord is leading me, well, then maybe the Lord isn't leading you. And if the Lord isn't leading you, we don't, we don't need to go down that direction. We don't need to go down that road. David's saying, we can't go down this road. This is against God. We're not going to be able to continue serving God and choose this path. This is a detour. This is a different route. Then he says this, verse number 10. David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, just as I know that God is alive, that God liveth forevermore, 
the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. What is David saying? I, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know how God's going to do it. I don't know when God's going to do it. But I know God's going to take care of it. I know God will do it His way. David did not know how. David did not know when. But he did know that God's plan was for him to be king in Saul's stead. And that in God's perfect time, it would happen without David having to manipulate the circumstances. And so David took the opportunity once again to demonstrate, Saul, I'm not here to get you. Saul, I'm not after you. I don't have ill intentions. He took Saul's spear, the kingdom of his kingship. By the way, he cut his robe the last time, another symbol of his kingship. And then he took the cruise of water. Now, here in America, in this part of the country, that's not as big of a deal. But when you're out camping, especially in a desert area, losing your canteen is a big deal. And uh, it wasn't that Saul couldn't get more water. As the king, he would definitely be able to get more water. But it was a symbol. This water was a symbol of life. He's saying, I could have taken your life. I only took your water. I was that close. If I could have taken this, he's demonstrating. uh, He's taking something that was necessary for Saul's life. David and his, men, and his man safely retreat. They get out, and they make sure there's a good distance between them. Remember, there's 3,000 soldiers here. Uh, so they make sure there's a good distance. They get up on a hill. He begins to call back, Hey, Abner! Come on, sleepyhead, wake up! David had a sense of humor. David had, he's using a little bit of sarcasm here. He's using a little bit of, he's challenging Abner. He says, Art, thou, art not thou a valiant man? Aren't you a great soldier? Well, you are supposed to be protecting the king, and uh, you didn't protect the king. In fact, I had to protect the king from Abishai. Isn't that what David's saying? You, you weren't there to protect your king. Someone, for there came one of the people in to destroy the king, thy lord. Someone came in to destroy the king, and you were sleeping. In fact, as sleeping on guard duty, what has that always been? That's been a, a, um, a capital offense. That's been uh, equivalent of desertion eh, to be sleeping on post. And David saying, Abner, you're whispering things in Saul's ear about me. Abner, you're, you're, you're helping make sure that you're chasing me. But you're more worthy of death than I am. You hear what he's saying? He's like, you didn't handle your responsibilities better better than I did, but the main thing that David wants to do is talk to Saul. And Saul hears his voice. He goes, is that my son, David? David goes, yeah, it's me, Saul. Yeah, it's me. O king, my lord, the king, he does not say, uh, he does not insult. He still uses terms of respect. He still addresses Saul uh, the way that he should. But he says, Saul, there are no real changes, charges against me here. I've done nothing worthy of death. What have I done? Why are you chasing me? Saul, then he says there, if if the Lord has stirred you up, Saul, if you can tell me that you're here because you're following the Lord, then let's deal with it biblically. Let him accept an offering. Let's go to the tabernacle and let's offer a sacrifice and let's settle the matter. But if it's a man that's stirring up against it, 
God's going to take care of that person. Make sure you're not listening to uh, some rumors over here. Make sure you're following God. He's challenging Saul with that. And Saul, like all people who are following their own ways and going back and forth, just turns into a pool of ooze and just begins blubbering all over himself. I've, I've acted the fool. I've erred exceedingly. You ever you, you know people who they're doing something wrong and then all of a sudden they realize and they're just weeping and it's all this and then they're right back to it? There, there's no repentance here. There's no change of heart. There's just shame. He's realized he's been caught. He realized what's going on. Saul goes back to his place. And David and his men are able to continue on their way. You say, did David really accomplish anything? Yes, he did. Because obedience is still the very best way. How many know the kids', kids song? Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. It's a, um, a kids' chorus that, uh, us, uh, that, we, that has been sung a lot. But simply this, David honored God even when facing continued assaults from his old adversary, by trusting God's plan, even though he didn't know how, and he didn't know when. And he just obeyed God. You see, you and I don't have to know the future to obey God today. Brother Gaddis said it this way, omniscience is not a requirement for obedience. Omniscience is not a requirement for obedience. We don't have to know what the future holds. We don't know, have to know how things are going to work out tomorrow to understand what God wants us to do today. Now, we can thank the Lord that most of us are not, most of us are not facing someone with a spear trying to kill us. Can we thank the Lord for that tonight? We don't have someone with a spear trying to murder us. That's off to a good start. That, just realizing that will cheer your day up just a little bit. You know what? I don't have someone with a spear trying to kill me. David did. David did. And yet he still trusted the Lord. But we can be facing, as I've started calling it, a storm with a face on it. Right? A uh, storm with faces, people problems. It's not that you and I claim perfection, but you know that you're trying to do what's right, and they're still trying to make life miserable. And they're still there at every turn, and it's still a problem everywhere you go. There's, there's trials, there's situations, a job, a health situation, car problems, and every time you think you get it resolved, it's back again. And every time and it, it's com just coming back, there's a spiritual problem. It just keeps nagging you, and it just keeps coming back. And am I going to get the victory? And how are things going to work out? And uh, I know that God has a plan for me down the road. And I know that God, you know, I know that, but what am I supposed to do today? You don't have to know the future to obey God today. We don't have to know how God is going to work things out down the road. I had no idea how God was going to bring Miss Jessie into my life. No idea. Didn't know who she was. And it wasn't like I was going to bump into her. She was 8,000 miles away on an island in Guam. It wasn't like I was going to bump into her somehow. But I didn't have to know the future 
to obey God today. And because I obeyed God today, God who knows the future worked things out according to His plan. And I can only say praise God for that. Uh, because I would not even want to think where I would be without my wife and without the family and how God's blessing. It's been amazing. But it's, I don't have to know the future to obey God today. And there's so many different opportunities and different problems that we're going to have today where you could fix the problem. You could, do, you could, if you twisted that bolt and you pushed hard enough on this and you yanked hard enough on that lever, you could get something moving. You could get something changing. You could, you could deal with that person. You could say it just so. You could really have that, let that person have it and just get it off your chest and you could really just lay it out there and they would finally know how you feel and you would really just... It. But is that going to help the spiritual matters down the road? No, we're to speak the truth, but we're to speak the truth in love. And we're, I've said it this way from the Sermon on the Mount, with uh, casting out, cast out the mote out of your own eye before you cast out the beam. If you really, really want to say something to somebody, you probably shouldn't. And if you really don't want to say something to somebody, but you know you should, that's when you should speak. Because if you really, really want to say something, you're going to say it in the flesh. You're going to try to fix the problem. But if you allow the Lord to get it, you, we don't have to know the future to obey God today. We have to do it His way. Thing, you could give in just a little bit. You could compromise just a little bit here. You could let things slide just a little bit here. Things would be so much easier. No, wait a second. We don't have to know the future and how God's going to work it out down the road to obey God today. So David had no clue how God was going to remove Saul as king. God, David had no idea how that was going to happen, but he knew one way it wasn't going to happen. He wasn't going to step in and make it happen. He wasn't going to break God's law. He wasn't going to transgress obedience to God to make something happen that wasn't in obedience to God's will. I know this, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what the future holds for our country. We don't know what the future holds for Community Baptist Church. We go out door knocking. We invite people to church. Get ready. We're, gonna, uh, we're already starting to make plans for uh, the Christmas celebration and uh, uh, that coming up. And uh, last year we had 66 people here for that. Now some of them were, uh, a good amount were my family. About 19 people were from uh, family and extended family. But that was still, every one of them was from the local area. A huge amount of people were here. And we're, uh, we're praying that we would continue to see that. But you know what? I don't know what the future holds. I don't know which door I'm going to knock that's going to have somebody there that actually is looking for the truth. I don't know which door hanger I'm going to put that somebody will start coming to church. I can't know the future, but I can obey God today. What about your situation? We don't have to know the future to obey God today. Football season's coming up. How many like armchair quarterbacks? How many know what that term means? Okay, 
I enjoy football. The armchair quarterback is the guy who's watching the TV from his comfy chair and screaming at the coach, that's not what you were supposed to do. That's not what you were supposed to do. You should have called this play. You should have done this. You should have done that. We all have at least a little bit of that in us. Don't do that to God. You should have done it this way. Why am I doing this? Wait a second. We don't know the future. We can trust that God knows what's best for us. So let's obey God today. And if we obey God today, we'll be where we need to be when God works out His plans where He wants us to be. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You tonight. We thank You for who You are. We thank You for Your grace, Your power. And we pray, Lord, that You would help us to trust You, to obey You, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it seems there's an easier way out. Help us to have the faith in You, Your planning, Your grace, and serve You. In Jesus' name we pray. And we'll take a moment, pray there in our seats, come forward to the altar. Let's do some business with the Lord tonight.